podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Do I have to answer that? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you do not, because nothing is good in the world at the moment. Liverpool were, and I think this is putting it bluntly, spanked at the weekend <laughs> by Wolverhampton Wanderers. A team, Carl, who had, in 20 previous Premier League games had managed a paltry 12 Premier League goals, managed to score three Premier League goals in one game against whatever this collective of individuals that have replaced the Liverpool team are supposed to represent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I've got nothing to add to that game, mate. That was a, an, an abomination yet again. And uh... Would you say... Would you say, is, is this a fair rundown, right? The game starts, it's fairly flat. Their first goal is a defensive error on our part. I think Matip is massively at fault. Others have blamed Gomez, but I think it's on Joel. Then they, they pile on a bit of pressure. They get a second goal, which again is a defensive error. I think it's a really weak header by Gomez. And then... The game kind of turned to nothing until half time. They had one decent chance. We had a couple of half chances. But we started the second half quite well. And I thought for the first 20 minutes of the second half, we were actually playing decent enough. Now, admittedly, they're two up and sitting back and letting us have a lot of the ball. But I thought we were playing well. I thought we were opening them up, putting them under pressure, not create anything great. But then. We did get a couple of scruffy chances. The the nabby robo thing that was stopped on the line by Max Kilman's arm was one. I think I, I do wonder if that goes in. Does the game change? Then Klopp's, Klopp makes changes on sixty five, and then it all falls apart, and we go three 0 down. But I did think there was twenty minutes in that game where we did start to look like a football team again. I I don't know if you agree or disagree, but I. I kind of feel like that Max Kilman handball. We didn't deserve anything from the game. And I'm not suggesting we did, but I do wonder if that goes in. Do we do we potentially go on and at least get a point? Quite possibly, and I think the other the other big moment was the Darwin Nunez chance, which he hit straight at um, Sar. I mean, if he goes through and keeps his composure a bit better there, I think again you probably look Liverpool go on and get maybe a. Uh, a point out of that game still because it was I think that was the last big moment really before we 
lost all control of the match and you know conceded a third goal and all the rest of it so there were a few sliding doors moments in the game but let's be honest we were so so bad that we were lucky to be in the game at half time even 2-0 down I thought we were that bad mm. Defensive errors everywhere, absolutely everywhere. Matip had one of the most horrible defensive performances I've seen since Lovren at Spurs. Um, you know, considering some of the absolute abominations that we've put in this season defensively, I think that's saying something. But I think that that was probably the worst individual display. Which is by no means to say that the the performance and the defensive shambles was down to him because everyone was getting in on the act. Uh, yeah, there, there was there was not a lot to admire in that first half, to be honest. Um, look, we played better in the second half in the in the opening twenty minutes, absolutely. But two things that you got to take from that is one, you can't be out of the game already. Two, mm. we still didn't take any of our chances. Three, um, we tried to affect the game with the subs then and got it really badly wrong, and it, it very much went bad backwards for us from that point. So, uh, I, I think that the lessons to to learn from that game one is that. You look at the way Wolves set up with their midfield especially uh, and where they defended with the midfield line. It's something that we've spoken about over and over again and we haven't really seen it since before Christmas, unfortunately, even though I do think it's a way of defending which probably suits the players that we've got at the moment. Um, But ultimately, you can defend as well as you want if you're not going to take any chances at all during the course of the game, whether fortune or form or composure or anything else plays the biggest part in each moment, you're not winning games. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, you look at uh, our form since we came back from the World Cup break. We've now played 10 games. Uh, we lost to City. We beat Villa. We very flukily beat Leicester. We got walloped by Brentford. We got very fortunate to get a draw against Wolves. We got walloped by Brighton. We beat Wolves in what was our only, I think, acceptable performance since the World Cup break. Because I think that Villa game, we were very lucky as well. I think we were far too open. Uh, we were poor against Chelsea. They were equally as poor in the game and nil-nil. We lost to Brighton in the Cup, and we deserved to lose to them in the Cup. And then we got walloped by Wolves. We have conceded 15 goals in those games, which is is really poor. Really, really poor. For us, for a team that was built on being great defensively, we're not scoring enough goals. And to highlight that fact, our top scorer in league action since we returned from the World Cup break is Woot Faze, who doesn't play for us. Um, and I think you, you owe him an apology because you said he was crap. But, I mean, look at the look at the impact he's had. The man won us three points single-handedly. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch? And those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Um, We ended this game at the weekend playing a double pivot in the year of our Lord, 
20 and 23 of James Milner and Jordan Henderson, which wouldn't have been an acceptable double pivot in 2015-16 when Klopp took over, let alone nearly eight years later. Like, it, it's just not acceptable that this is the team that we have, that this is the squad that we have. It's not acceptable that this team is playing this way. There's far too much talent in this squad to be 10th. We were at one point on Saturday 11th in the league table until Aston Villa decided to soil themselves. It's unacceptable, Carol. It really is unacceptable. And it's very hard to see how we work our way out of this without a very drastic change in approach, which we can't can't really do until we start to get some players back. Now, the the word on the street is that Virgil is getting close to coming back, that Ibu is going to be back a little bit quicker than they thought, that Jota is close to being back. But Klopp, he's made changes in midfield, but there's no real point in dropping players if you're going to bring them on on 60 every single time and they're going to continue to play really poorly. Drop them properly. Leave them out of the squad. Leave them on the bench for two or three games in a row where they don't play. And maybe that has more of an impact. But for now, everything is wrong with this team. The defense is awful. The midfield is poor. And the attack is is just not functioning, not firing at all. And I said it after the game on Saturday. Our best player, I thought, was Stefan Basetic, who I didn't think had a particularly good game. But I thought he was the best player we had on the day. And he shouldn't be anywhere near our first team 11. Like, if we're a serious team about winning major honours, he, as good and talented as he is, isn't anywhere close to our first 11. And I don't want to hear about Gavi. I don't want to hear about Jude Bellingham. He's not them. He just isn't them. Not only is he not them, he's also playing in a, a role which has so much more responsibility than either of those two players were when they were breaking through. Uh, it's very, very different being a young and aggressive attacking player and someone who is basically in charge of protecting a faltering defence, which is the role that Bacetich has at the minute. So I don't really think that, that uh, those comparisons hold much water anyway, re- regardless of, of perceived quality level, let's say. Uh, the role in the team is everything almost more than even the quality of a young player because it carries so much responsibility and requires a, such a big mindset and lots of preparation time and all the rest of it that's why you, you so rarely see let's say centre-backs coming through um, very very young compared to let's say full-backs for example or playing out of position as a full-back that sort of thing um, I mean we I understand what you're saying about the injuries and and until we get players back, we haven't got a way to play slightly differently. I I disagree on that. I think that there is... No, no, I think there's another way. I just think that the way we should look to play won't really work till they come back. Well, my my thing here is that I don't think Klopp is doing enough to make us change. Um, He's, you know... But I assume the message constantly every week to the players on the training ground is that we're working really hard and we're going to focus really well on the things that we need to be doing off the ball and... Uh, the the positional work that we want to play and all the rest of it and that's fine but if that idea is fundamentally not working this season this this moment of footballing 
um, you know, the way that other teams are playing and all the rest of it, then it doesn't really matter how hard you work or how well they implement the plan or not. Leaving aside the fact that they're not implementing any kind of plan from kickoff at the moment in matches, the idea of how we are playing doesn't appear to be good enough to win games. That's the big thing for me at the moment. Like we, we seem to be very stuck on this one way of playing a match and winning a match, and it isn't working. Now, maybe maybe the, the the coaches still hold you know a real fundamental belief that it is the way and it is how it has to be and when we get certain players back there'll be a noticeable uptick fine but I still think a more pragmatic approach when it isn't working with the players who are there right now is required you want to go back to the way we're playing now when Diaz is back and when Salah has better form and when uh, Fabinho exists uh, or whatever is the case fine do that but at the moment you haven't got any of them you haven't got the fast outlets like Jota or Diaz down the flank so play a different way I, I just don't understand the reluctance to fix the problems right in front of us to allow us a bit more confidence allow us a bit more solid footing allow us to build a few results on the trot without looking absolute garbage in defence and off the ball everywhere on the pitch Yeah, see, I agree, and I think I think we we set a blueprint for ourselves that we could easily follow when we beat Manchester City at home, and in that game we played a four four two, in which we stayed very compact defensively, in which our midfield did not leave big gaps in in front of the defense; they just sat in front of them, played within themselves allowed the opposition to have the ball, allowed them on to us, trusted ourselves to be able to defend those situations, and then hit them on the counter-attack. Now, Darwin played left wing in that game, if I'm not mistaken, with Bobby and Mo up front as a two. Now, Bobby's out injured at the moment, but Darwin could play left wing at the moment with Cody Gakbo and Mo up front as a two. Thiago's still there. Fabinho's in horrendous form, but I do think if you put him in a in a, a nice compact system and limit the amount of running he has to do, you could make that work. Harvey played right wing. I would play Trent in that role. Wasn't right wing. Was was much more right midfield. Sat in front of the fullback, trying to be a little bit inventive, but largely there for defensive purposes. I think you could give that role to Trent and, and let him explore what it can do for him. Milner played right back. I would put Joe Gomez there. But the issue I have then, Carl, is at centre-back. Because with Virgil and Ibu out, we, we don't have a centre-back that I'd trust. Is, is, Matip has been Matt, poor Matt for Phillips. a year. Matip Phillips not doing it for you as a partnership? No, no. If, if we were looking to finish... Sixth in the championship, it might work for me. But Joel Matip has been poor for an entire calendar year now. I know he won player of the month in February. That was a farce. It was the worst month he had last season up to that point. And he got worse each month after that. Culminating with some of the worst performances I've seen from a Liverpool centre-back this season. And the one you you referred to on Saturday was very Lovren-esque indecisive, poor judgment, poor decision-making, asleep, awful. Everything you could want him not to do, he did. 
So if, if Virgil and Ibu were fit, that is what I would suggest going to. I would suggest going to a 4-4-2 and looking to to be a, a, a deep-to-mid-block team who use Darwin's pace out wide, Trent's passing from the other side, and then the, the threat of Mo through the middle. Now, when Diaz and Jota return, you get even more options. You can play Diaz left wing and, you know, Mo and Darwin or Mo and Jota through the middle. Um, but at the moment, I, I look, I think we could go to that now and try and work on the fundamental principles of it and get everybody else keyed in in their roles. Like for Gomez, the adaption to right back, for Trent to midfield, for Thiago and and, uh, and Fabinho playing as a double pivot, sitting in front of that defence. You could work on all of that, but you would have a weakness at centre-back. But maybe it's worth doing that with that weakness so that when Virgil walks back in and then when Ibu walks back in, everything else is kind of keyed in and ready to go because I think they're the ones who will have the easiest transition to it because I think they're the ones that... Ibu, I think, has been our best outfield player this year. And Virgil... I know that, that that Virgil's still in there somewhere because last season he was the best centre-back in Europe. He was brilliant at the World Cup. He had a couple of really good games prior to the World Cup, particularly that City game. I know he's had a bad season by his standards, but if you look at the rest of the team, he's still been considerably better than most of them. Yeah, I mean, I've said before quite a few times now over the last few weeks, I think going to a four-man midfield and leaving two up front, one, you're going to get Salah a bit more involved because he looks... It's very difficult to watch Mohamed Salah play at the minute because he's such a better footballer than, one, we're allowing him to be, and then, two, that he's obviously showing at the end. His, his, he's gone through a few spells like this before in terms of his shooting when it's like really hurried and snatched and lacking confidence and he just tries to sort of poke it and scuff it towards the corner and it never goes anywhere near the goal. But even at those times previously, he's been like very involved in our build-up play, works very hard off the ball, he's always an outlet for us, all that kind of thing. And at the minute, we're giving him nothing, nothing to work with whatsoever. There's no link play between him and Darwin, there's no um, that overlaps down the down the right-hand side for when he's he comes in, in fields. There's, there's very, very little involvement for, for Salah at the moment at all. Um, so I personally think get him in a central area even if it's not his absolute favourite it's a bit more likely that we will get involvement from him and build up play from him and people running off him and all that kind of thing and at the minute if you have to not start one of Gakpo or uh, Darwin do it (laughs) the team has to be fixed basically Um, there's a lot I don't understand about the team selections at the moment I'm going to be honest Um, I I think Klopp has, has not had a good time of things at all since the World Cup um, we had a couple of results, but performance levels I don't think have been on the way back by one or two games. And I, I don't enjoy this reluctance to change things when it's not working. No, no, neither do I. And, I, and I'm, I'm really struggling to think of a, of a season that an elite manager has had. And there's no, like, there's no doubt Jurgen is, is an elite level manager. He is one of the very best ever. But I'm struggling to think of a season that an elite manager has had that's been quite as bad as this one and, and didn't end in them leaving the club. Because the only, ones, the only one I can really think of 
is Mourinho, the season that Chelsea sacked him when he had the big falling out with everybody. Um, the, sec- the second time they sacked him, I should say. But, you know, I, I don't remember, you know, Ferguson didn't have a season like this once he'd established himself. Wenger the same. Um, Pep's never had a season like this. Capello never had a season like this. Lippi didn't have a season like this. I don't remember any of those managers having seasons like this that didn't end in them leaving the club. Now, none of us want Jurgen to leave the club. But I have said I would understand if he made a decision to leave the club, if he decided that either his message wasn't getting across or he was just burnt out or whatever it was. My preference would be that he would make very serious changes to both the playing staff and the coaching staff and look to completely refresh things. But I I don't see any evidence that he's going to want to do that either. No, I mean, there's limitations on obviously how much turnaround we can perhaps do, um, as we've spoken about before, not just because of the the finances, but actually because of a reluctance to offload players. And if you're not going to do that, it's very difficult to refresh. You can't just build and build and build a squad without any income on the other side or without making spaces in the squad. So there's a lot to work on there. It's um, I, I don't see this being a particularly quick fix for Liverpool, to be honest. No. And I've said, like... I- I wouldn't I wouldn't mind us finishing ninth this season and taking a really hard line approach with this squad and as I've said before taking a chainsaw to the squad and just lumping off big chunks of it and writing off next season to an extent where this is a two year rebuild and by twenty four, twenty five we're going to be ready to go. This is not going to be one season and we're fixed. This is the summer, January, and next summer, and then the following season we're ready to go. But the problem with doing that, I suppose, is that you're writing off another year of Moe's prime, another year of Virgil's prime, another year of Allison's prime, and maybe the last really good season that Thiago will have. And Thiago would also be at a contract in, 20, in 2024. I'd look to extend him because I think he's worth keeping. But there's there's so many players in this squad that I wouldn't have any interest in seeing play at Liverpool next season. Um in 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 all lines, in in defence, in midfield in particular. I, I wouldn't be against getting rid of every midfielder at the club who's not Thiago. And in attack, I think there's one or there's certainly one, maybe two that could look to go. And I think if you were to do that, you could you could then accept a, a, another season next season where... Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. 
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. It wouldn't be as bad as this, I don't think. I don't think anything could be as bad as this. But at least, even if you weren't competitive, at least if you could see that the team and the club were moving in the right direction, that the players were coming in and settling and developing partnerships and a a new style or a new system was being implemented that the new coaching staff was having real impact and, you know, getting other players back to their best while elevating certain players that are new and or younger or whatever that I could accept this. I can't accept this is this to me is unacceptable. There is no excuse for this Liverpool team to be this poor. There is nobody that's going to convince me that if you line our 11, our best 11 lads up, with the best 11s of Arsenal, that their best 11 is better than ours, because it's not. There's nobody that will convince me that Man United's best 11 is better than ours. It's not. Newcastle's is not. Spurs is not. The only one you can make a real argument for is City. And they're not having a particularly good season by their standards either. And yet we're so far off the pace that it's not just that we can't take advantage of their down season, they're having a down season and laughing at how bad we are. Like, th- this type of drop-off is just is so, so far beyond what you could... E- even to tag it as a season of transition, this is not a season of transition. Tenth in the league after 20 games is not a season of transition. It's a season of disaster. Yeah, it, it's it's not anything transition because at the minute we haven't been transitioning to anything. Uh, that's that's the other point, you know. It's not like we brought in five players and have been trying to gel them all. We didn't do any work, and therefore that's what's led to this underperformance. So it isn't a transition if you're not going anywhere. And at the minute, I don't think Liverpool know what they want to be. I think is my my underlying issue here. Um, it's very difficult to see what we're trying to do from one week to the next, yeah. where we're trying to build and improve and make small gains from one week to the next. What we're focusing on in terms of making sure that we get a result this week, is it being super tight at the back? Is it being really good on set pieces? Is it being dominant in, in terms of possession? Is it being it, nothing? It's nothing at all. You can't be in transition if you're not going anywhere. And at the minute, we're not. We're not doing anything to go to a new way, to go to a new team, to go to a new whole bunch of partnerships. There's nothing consistent or standardised about what we're doing or where we're getting to try to be at the moment. It's just a horrible, horrible mess to watch every single week, which is maybe leading to the least I've ever looked forward to an Anfield derby. Mm. Yeah. Exactly, and we'll come to the derby now, but like this isn't just a problem on the pitch, this is a problem off the pitch. Mm. We have uncertainty with the ownership, who have put the club up for sale and are now apparently unsure as to whether they want to sell or not, struggling to find real interest. Um, talk of Redbird upping their their involvement. That's the same Redbird, by the way, that are currently unable to afford a stadium for AC Milan that very came very close to not being able to buy AC Milan because they couldn't raise the money and are currently under investigation for embezzlement by Italian authorities. So, you know, not ideal there. Uh, We have a sporting director who's leaving in the summer. We have no suggestion or idea of who the replacement might be, but we do know that Jurgen Klopp is involved in that hunt. Uh, Jurgen Klopp 
going to be involved in the hiring of his direct line manager doesn't really seem ideal. Our head of analytics and research uh, is leaving um, and potentially taking some of his staff with him. And who knows who else goes? Mike Gordon, who was basically the president of football operations, running the football side separate to the business side, which was run by, by Billy Hogan, he's gone. And there's been no mention of who might replace him. Um, so all in all, it's just it's a shit show from top to bottom. You've got articles coming out written by Simon Hughes a few months ago about the medical side and how, what an absolute clusterfuck it is. You've got the Melissa Reddy piece, which was damning of all involved, both medical recruitment, the whole thing. Uh, you've got Klopp snapping at journalists, basically blaming them for somebody else's piece. Uh, because his head is just so frazzled at the moment. That's the second journalist he's now had a pop at in a press conference, which, as has been pointed out by multiple journalists who covered him when he was at Dortmund, is very similar to how he started to behave in his final season there when he realised that he couldn't quite get things turned around. So, yeah, I mean, it all leads to a shit show, and this shit show will continue when we play Everton. On Monday night, so a Monday night game. So it gets to ruin your whole weekend as you dread that game through Saturday and Sunday. And then it can ruin the whole following week uh, by taking place on a Monday. (coughs) Everton, who, having beaten West Ham and Southampton on September 18th and October 1st, won only one game, that being at home to a messy Crystal Palace team, between October 1st and the weekend. Um, They had lost to West Ham in the bottom three, Southampton bottom of the league, Wolves at the time bottom of the league, twice to Bournemouth. The only two wins Bournemouth have managed, I think in 15 games now, they'd lost to all of them. They were the worst team in the league. And they went and ran over, ran over the league leaders. In Sean Dyche's first game with... Five days on the training ground, not even, four days on the training ground, they ran all over Arsenal. And yes, they only had 29% possession, but they had the best chances in the game and they were undeniably worthy of their victory. And if they can do that to Arsenal, Carl, a a functional team playing well, what on earth are they going to do to us? (laughs) Oh, dear. Um... There are obviously two or three things here to point out. One, Everton, you know, the whole manager, new scenario, environment, blah, blah, blah. So how many times can you do that? How many how many times can the same group of players put in consistent levels of performance when basically the reason they're in the position they are is that they haven't been consistent? Um, I... I I never really like this idea of Vaughn goes out the window in the derbies, but by God am I hoping it's true this time around. Um, there's... There's a thing coming to Anfield and all the rest of it. Now, we know you know the, the, the win that they eventually got and the terrible time that we had at the time, but basically, you think back to that big, whole, long run. The only time we really, really struggled against Everton, like game after game, game was the very short period where they had Sam Allardyce in charge. Now, there are obviously differences between Allardyce and, and Deitch, and I don't want to just needlessly group them together because they are 
you know, of Gammon. English persuasion and, and prefer to not have the football in a game of football. But there are similarities as well in terms of how they set up the team and what they want the players to do to, to, to frustrate the opposition and so on. So all I've been thinking about over the last sort of three, four days is really how this is going to be thrown back to that game uh, the, the very, very frustrating match that we had when, when Allardyce came to town and uh, it was it was not an enjoyable 90 minutes. I don't expect this one to be any different at all. No, no, neither do I. And I, I think you're right. Like That's the kind of the last time they really... Obviously, we throw out the, the game during the pandemic with no fans because mm-hmm. we were in a, a horrendous run at the same time. But... You know, you think back even beyond that then to when when did they cause us trouble? And it was the same type of thing. It was around the time that Moyes sort of accepted what he had and didn't want the football and allowed his team to just work and work and work off the ball and try and either scrape a draw or hit us on the counter. Now, they didn't have huge amounts of success, but they did beat us a a number of times under Moyes. Um, mostly at Goodison, all, all at Goodison, of course. But they got four or five draws at Anfield in that time as well. It was only really when Moyes thought he was a football manager yeah. that we would have results against them. And, you know, they, they I think under Koeman, they got, might have got a, a decent couple of results as well because he was the same. He could be a little bit, you know, gammony as well with, with the setup. Um, but... I'm really not looking forward to this game because at the weekend they set up in a 4-5-1 and they went with it will be in McNeil out wide, two lads that will work really, really hard. And if if they were both given to Pep Guardiola at 18, they'd probably be fullbacks. But Dyche likes to use them as wide players. Iwobi himself has had a good season. McNeil's been quite poor, but he was really good at the weekend. He played a midfield three with Adrissagana Gay at the base of it, kind of just roaming in front of the defence, snapping at everything that came near him. And he gave Dekure and Onana licence to go and run and be physical and be aggressive. And they did that. And Arsenal could not live with them. Even when they had Partey on the pitch, they could not live with Onana's pace and power, with Dekure's driving runs. And those two lads were able to pick the ball up a number of times and just drive straight at the heart of Arsenal's defence without Arsenal having a chance to get back in position. And Arsenal this season have, to their credit, been very good in transition defence. The problem for them last year that they seem to have figured out this year, a lot more kind of niggly, professional-type fouls, something that Arteta has obviously borrowed from Pep. But they couldn't live with the two boys on the weekend. And we can't stop anybody from carrying the ball at the minute. We can't stop anybody from running over our midfield. Mm. Like, Ruben Neves will never, ever, ever be called quick. If you were to list Ruben Neves' attributes as a footballer, his speed would not even come up in the conversation. And yet he was able to overrun our midfield. He he charged forward for that third goal. Thiago had no seemed to have no idea where he was, and our other two midfielders never bothered the holes coming back. N- uh, Nunes ran over our midfield. Lamina ran over our midfield a couple of times, and we couldn't cope with them. Couldn't cope with the physicality. Couldn't cope with the foot speed. These two boys are bigger, stronger, and faster. 
and more aggressive and more physical. And and I don't know how we're going to deal with that midfield three with Idrissigan with Gay sitting there just snapping into challenges and giving the ball to the other two. And then them either carrying the ball or shifting it wide and getting forward. I don't know how we, we cope with that because our midfield can't move at the moment, regardless of who plays. Yeah, I, I thought Anana was brilliant in that game. He really was. I mean, he, he was deep quite a lot of the time, but he was he had, like you say, a lot of license. He was the, the supporting midfielder, basically, and then it was whoever else could. Uh, I was a little bit surprised even to see Iwobi and McNeil sort of start on opposite flanks so that they were cutting in, let's say, um, fine for when they're attacking, but basically most of their attacking was in the wide area, so it probably would have even benefited them a bit more to, to play on the natural side. I have a theory. <clears throat> Go on. I have a theory. What were they doing off the ball, dropping right in front of the fullbacks? Oh, yeah. Ar- Arsenal's wingers to stop them are, both, are both inverted, so they want to cut inside. So when Saka would cut inside, he was cutting into Iwobi's stronger side. When Martinelli would cut inside, he was cutting into McNeil's stronger side. So they were making challenges with more power behind them, and they were able to just shut down those two channels. And the fullbacks could then could then deal with the overlapping fullbacks from Arsenal. I thought Dyche played it absolutely perfectly. Yeah, I mean they 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 never looked in danger of losing the game. That's the best thing that could be said for it. You know whether or not they got the goal was a bit of a hit and miss thing eventually, but they never looked like they were going to go behind. They never looked. Um, under so much pressure that they couldn't get out. There were a couple of periods at the start of the second half where Arsenal certainly dominated and similar to Liverpool against Wolves where they had possession in the final third but didn't really do a lot with it. Pickford didn't have that much to do really. Um, I I do think that it will be interesting, let's say, um, terrifying as well, but to see how how many games in a row they can keep doing that because there was a lot of work in that game for Everton like they put a lot into that in terms of the off the ball and the shifting side to side every single time that Arsenal tried to switch play everybody went as a unit and oh. obviously they've had now well it'll be just over a week to, to refresh and get more uh, rigorous training in that regard and make sure that they're all to be more bleep tests yeah, yeah more bleep tests uh, make sure that the automations are in place, basically, so that every time Liverpool have possession and go to a different angle, whether it's Trent switch and play or we go direct or whatever, they all know what they're doing. And it's a very, very difficult thing to play around, basically, unless you are very, very quick along the ground or very, very quick at moving the ball. And at the minute, we're neither. So it's... I, I, I don't really see an easy route to Liverpool scoring a goal here because we look so unlike scoring goals at the moment. But... Um, there's, there's got to be something that Klopp can come up with because if you just go out and you do the same sort of thing as you did against Wolves even in that second half when we were better Everton playing the way that they did against Arsenal probably defend that quite easily they're bigger, they're stronger they are yep. um, much less receptive let's say to, to slinging crosses into the box towards Darwin they are probably going to be a lot quicker to get out to midfield uh, to feet than Wolves were at the start of that second half if we're just recycling around the edge of the box. it's It needs something else. It needs good football team is what it needs. Yeah, so if, any, if anyone knows where there might be a good football team that we can borrow for the weekend... All in. Uh, yeah, do let us know. Um, yeah, Jesus. Uh, when you think about like the fact that they are going to have, from the early kickoff on Saturday... To a Monday night kickoff, 
it's a lot of recovery time for them. So I, I do think there is the possibility for a very similar performance from them. We've obviously, we, we'll have good rest as well. We need to play a couple of hours after them. So that won't be an excuse for us that they, you know, they had an extra day, day and a half's rest. They, they'll have an extra couple of hours. And they certainly put in an awful lot more effort against Arsenal than our lot did against Wolves. Um, so I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them come and put in the same type of performance. And look, they got a draw against us at Goodison early in the season before we realized just how bad we were. And, um, it, it wouldn't be at all surprising to me if they were to turn around and, and, and do us this weekend. Their team, I would imagine it will be unchanged unless someone gets hurt. So Pickford, Coleman, Cody, Tarkovsky, and uh, and Michaelenko is a back four. I think, you know, when you look at Everton's squad, Patterson will come in for Coleman whenever fit. I think that's an upgrade on what Coleman is now, but he had a great game at the weekend. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. And I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Keane gets a run under Dyche because Dyche has a, a long relationship with Keane. Dyche made Michael Keane's career at Burnley. And there's a there's an existing relationship between Keane and Tarkovsky from the the overlap they had at Burnley as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's what he settles on as a back four. I think the midfield five that we saw will be largely what he'll do. I think there'll be some games when maybe he sits Dakuri out of the team and plays Damari Gray off Calvert Lewin. But I think that's basically what he'll go with. I think I think he'll look to keep maybe fifteen players from the current group that he feels he can trust and those will be the ones he'll use and he'll try and get as many points as he can between now and the end of the season. So for this game, I expect the same 11. Pickford, Coleman, Cody, Tarkovsky, Michaelenko, Iwobi, Dakure, Idrissa Ganagay, Amadou Onana, Dwight McNeil, and then Calvert-Lewin up front. I, I think that's what he will look to go with and I think that's a that's a big physical team that is, is going to exploit at least one thing that we are not doing well at the moment, which is defending set pieces. So you're going to start playing football. Well, th- th- there's that as well, but they're not all that interested in, in the playing of the football. <laughs> They'd much rather have it be a bit of a scrap and then we'll settle it on set pieces. And with the delivery that they get from 
Dwight McNeil, and then you're looking at Tarkovsky's a big lump, Decoure's big, Onana's huge, and Calvert Lewin's great in the air, and, he, and he's big. Like that's going to be a lot of targets, and Cody's decent on set pieces as well. He's he's really good at picking at getting to that second ball. So if there's a knockdown, Cody's really good at anticipating it. Like that's going to be that's going to be trouble for us, I think, this weekend. Yeah, a lot of their set pieces went far post as well against Arsenal. It was quite notable that they'd have a big, big crowd near post and penalty spot and then just a couple peel around the back and that's where everything went and it was very difficult then, not just for, for obviously for the defence to rearrange themselves, but also they didn't tend to have the biggest of players far post uh, on, on defensive duty and it was really difficult then for Ramsdale to get through uh, like a crowd of players turning around to see where the ball was going to go, obviously. So... If that is the case again, I mean, it tends to obviously be our fullbacks who are on the outside of our of our defensive markings at corners, that sort of thing. So it's definitely going to be uh, an occasion, I think, where Allison's ability to get through people and punch clear or whatever is maybe called upon. Because, as you say, we should be really good at defending set plays. If, if lacking confidence and all the rest of it, whatever, the defending corners and defending free kicks we were very very good at for a long time and even at the start of this season when we were not great the rest of the place we conceded among the fewest goals from set plays but since well let's say since the turn of the year it's been another really bad area for us and mm. i know we're you know lacking a few inches in terms of players who are out injured of that but i don't think that's really an excuse there's there's just not enough combativeness there's not enough aggression there's not enough Absolute. In fact, I don't really at the minute, other than Thiago and Basetic, because he's you know young and exuberant. There's not really anybody who will just throw themselves and make sure they get to something first at the minute. I don't see anybody in the team like that. No, not even Robbo. No, not even Robbo, which is surprising. You don't you don't associate that with with the likes of Trent or Joel Matip or Joe Gomez. Gomez at times, but I think the injuries have, have given him pause for thought. But. Robbo, Robbo would always fling himself in front of everything. And he just, it's not happening at the moment. Like you said, it is only the two boys in midfield. And one of them is the one player you don't want doing it. <laughs> like we have turned, we bought Thiago and we've turned him into David fucking Batty. <laughs> it's, it's appalling. That's how our season's gone. We've got, we've got fucking Morrison's David Batty out there. Um, Right, let's talk about Liverpool then no. as quickly as we can and get... No, we'll just, as quick, we'll just do a team, yeah. we'll do predictions and then we'll go because they, we don't want to spend any more time on this because it just, it's horrible to think about Onana just running over our midfield when he should be wearing a red shirt because we could have signed him last summer but we're too stupid to do so. Right, let's do, let's do um, two 11s, right? Which 11 do you think is start in the derby? Right, the 11 I think that will start is Alisson... Yeah. Trent, Matip, Gomez, Robbo, Henderson, Basetic, Thiago. Salah, Nunes and, and Elliot is what I think he'll start. Okay, I reckon Cody Gakpo starts again. So instead of Elliot, but the rest of them I'm in agreement with. Um... Jordan Henderson trying to keep up with the physicality of Onana is going to be. Um, it may it may be the end of his career. It, he may have his Gary Neville moment where he sits on the toilet at half time and realizes it's over. 
because Onana will absolutely eat him alive. Now, so the second part of this is what what would you start? Um, what changes would you make to that eleven shape and individuals? Okay, well, I'm going four four two narrow four four two tucked in sides off the ball in in the channels for the wide midfielders. Uh, and the players that you've got, they can tilt a four-three-three in attack if you really want the same build-up play or whatever. But still, off the ball is is the more important aspect of this at the minute. So, um, Trent, Gomez, Nat Phillips, Andy Robertson, uh, Allison in goal. Obviously, I assume I don't need to say that one. Um, Thiago and Basatich is the central pairing. Naby. In off the, let's say, I don't really care, the right, let's say. And in off the left. Ox. Or the, yeah. or the other way around for those two. Um, I, I think I'd start Ox on the left, but it doesn't really matter either, either way around for those two. Nabi and Ox. And then Darwin and Salah up front. Yeah. I think I think I'd go with something similar. Like the fact that we're suggesting that Nat Phillips should start when when we we were on the verge of selling him to a championship club in the January transfer window is just dreadful. But it, it like he's not good. He's certainly no look he's a good defender, obviously, because he's a professional footballer. He's not good enough to play for us. And he's not good enough to play regularly in the Premier League. But the fact that he is a better option for this game than Joel Matip tells you all you need to know about where Joel Matip is going and the fact that, for me, he should be one of the first players we look to move on in the summer. And it also tells you where our season is going, that this is where we are now, that we're bringing in lads that two years or three years ago, however long, started the 2020, yeah, three years ago, like we couldn't find a championship club to take him off our hands. He had a good season. We couldn't find a buyer for him. He was going to go on loan to Watford in the Premier League with an option to buy. Couldn't get that deal done. He went on loan to Bournemouth. They got promoted and didn't want to keep him. And then we couldn't find a buyer in January until we almost got a championship club to take him. And then when Virgil got hurt, we pulled that deal off. We pulled the plug on that deal. Like we're a mess. We're an absolute mess. Um, but yeah, I think I'd go with 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 something similar to what you've gone with there. I think if we had either Ebu or Virgil fit, I'd play Gomez right back and Trent and Ox as the wide midfielders. But um, since we don't, I think what you've got is, is what we've got. The only alternative will be will be to start Milner right back and play and play Trent on the right of midfield. And, and I wouldn't be overly against that because McNeil, for his talents, he's not a quick player. So I think Milner could live with him. Um, but Nat, I think, is necessary because any service into that box, Calvert-Lewin is going to be an issue against Matip and Gomez. So I think Nat Phillips, for that reason, is worth starting. Give me your prediction then, and let's be done with this. 4-1 to Liverpool. Oh! I'm lying. Is that based on your team or, or Jurgen's team? This, this is based on the fact that... Um, I've got Everton coming up in my uh, Champman 0102 match, and I intend to win by that scoreline. So that's obviously the precursor for what will happen on Monday night. There you go. 
Um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a rain cloud on your sunny day. I'm going to say two one to Everton. I'm going to go properly one one. <sighs> yeah, it's not going to be pleasant. I can't predict an Anfield defeat in the derby. Come on. I can't. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to predict an Anfield defeat in the derby, but I don't fancy us to beat anybody right now other than maybe Bournemouth. I don't even see how to score, to be honest. Like, maybe a set piece, maybe. I think I, I could see them scoring from open play, and I think they'll get at least one from a set piece, but I don't see how we score. We just we don't look like scoring. We can't keep a clean sheet. We can't control a game. They're going to be bigger, stronger, faster than us. Klopp is going to do something silly because he's done something silly in most games this season. And I don't know. Maybe the best thing is that Jürgen just announces he's taken a little break. He's going to go back to Germany and pretend none of this is happening. Linders takes over, does whatever it is he wants to do. Everybody realizes it doesn't work. Klopp comes back, tells Pep, listen, son, thanks a million. You've been great, but on your bike. And we get an entirely new coaching staff around Jurgen next season, and they just go hell for leather at rebuilding that squad. But we'll leave it there for today. Anything you want to plug before you go? You have an excellent piece, young man, on This Is Anfield that I, I perused this morning, and I'd like to congratulate you on that. Oh, thank you. Well, I suppose I best plug that one. It's on Matthias Nunez, so if you'd like to know more about a midfielder who has just ripped us to shreds and therefore must be considering why would I go there in the summer, then go ahead and read it. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.